two scared siblings. <coughs> Hello. Hello. And welcome to two, two scared, scared siblings. siblings. Yay. Okay. So, yeah. I was just double checking. We'll just breeze my by that intro now, and <laughs> yeah, no, no, it's like a formality at this point. But <laughs> yeah, <laughs> okay. So, Wisconsin. Yeah, we had an email from a listener. Yep. Who wants us to uh, put Wisconsin on the chopping block again? Again, <laughs> because last time we didn't know. We hadn't read the email, so we didn't know, and then we just accidentally did Slenderman, which did take place in Wisconsin. Yeah, Wisconsin's got, like, a lot of dirty laundry, apparently. Oh, my God. Okay, so I, I was, didn't even, like... Yeah, I was trying to find a case, and yeah. I was, like, going through... They had Ed Gein. Yeah, They Dahmer. had Dahmer. Yeah. And I was like, uh, this is a lot. Goodness. And, but I wanted to do one that wasn't... That well known. I don't really want to cover Gein or Dahmer or no. Bundy or any of them just because it's no, just so of, well known. Yeah, they've been covered to death, right? Like they've already been done a lot. Yeah. And then the the uh the uh <laughs> the, <laughs> yeah. li- the listener also suggested we do some haunted objects. And yeah. since it's close to Halloween. Yeah. We thought that was a great idea. Yeah. Although, no, I'm excited about that idea. I mean, I'll, we are a horror podcast. Yeah, so it's always going to be a little Halloween-y, like, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I guess. 365 days of Halloween. Like, <laughs> that's what we're – that's what you're here for. Yeah, that's what you like. Nasties. <laughs> you bunch of creeps. <laughs> <laughs> you sexy freaks. <laughs> yeah. Okay, so All right. we have some – dreams to share as drama i mean like imagine... a drama is very loosely defined as drama yeah these days drama is always, well it's, it's often in quotations but it's yeah. still it's still fun to hear about i like listening to people's dreams yeah like uh, analyzing them according to symbolism and stuff because usually they're pretty straightforward even though they're weird but like just hearing about them you know yeah yeah no, totally. okay Andrea, All I right. haven't heard this dream of yours, I don't think. No, because so. I just had it two nights ago. Oh, yeah. And, and I was uh, like, I'll do it. I'll do that. Yeah, yeah, go for it. Both our, both our dreams are along a similar vein. So, like, if you are super sensitive to um, animal animal gore or whatever, and this is, these are dreams, so they didn't actually happen, but there's some detailed animal gore in mine. So, Ugh. yeah, just tune out for a bit. Yeah. For that. And then I'm sensitive come back to later. animal gore. But I'm yeah. going to have to listen to it anyway. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, yeah. This okay. did not actually happen, luckily. So no. Andrea's... Yeah, none of this really happened. Yeah. Again, Andrea's isn't, like, is yours gory? It's a little gross, but it's not detailed. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So. All right. Take care. Okay. So, um, my dream was really weird. So, I was... Um, I came across this kind of older lady, like 50s or something, <clears throat> and she needed help. And I had no idea what I was getting into, but I decided to help her in my dream. And what we had to do was go to the library and, like, type up call numbers for books so that we could do research on whatever her issue was. Mm-hmm. And it turned out that she was being stalked by this family. So the family was two parents. Yeah. And they're, like, grown children. Like, mm-hmm. late teens, early 20s children, right? Right. <clears throat> and they were, like, villainous. <laughs> so uh, the mom and dad, and I think the children as well, they 
they were like invincible, so you couldn't hurt them, and they had super strength, and they were <laughs> also evil. So oh yeah, no, and they were coming after this lady. And this is a family of like two. A family of two. Yeah, so there's well, like this family, or yeah, well, it's like the parents and their grown children. Oh, I thought you meant that the parents were grown children. Oh no, no, <laughs> <laughs> I was like, that's no, a small family. You could these, have just said like a couple of teens, but like, it's these married, this married couple, and then their children, children yeah. and I think they had like three children who were adults. Yeah, right. Okay. So I was helping this beings. lady, and they were evil. Yeah, and they were coming after this lady, so I was helping her. <clears throat> but in the course of helping her, and we were racing to do it because this family could find you. Right. Uh, they also must have had some finding powers along <laughs> with their super strength. Um, anyway, Yikes. so I was helping her, and in the course of doing this, they got mad at – they, like, started to be mad at me, right? Mm-hmm. Um, I pissed them off. And uh, they were coming after us, and they ended up catching us at the library. <laughs> and uh, then they took us to the room to show us – to this room to show us, like, if we didn't cooperate and do what they – told us to do yeah um they took us to the room and they're like look and so we looked inside and the lady's grown daughter had been kidnapped and she was tied up in a room and uh. then my cats <laughs> muffin and sugar had been kidnapped i'm just realizing yeah. how this sounds now my cats were abducted she had a an actual human family member abducted uh, but your cats. My cats. They're they're the important part. And I was just like seeing her grown daughter and I was like, oh yeah, that's that sucks. But then I saw my <laughs> cats bummer, yeah. and I was like, no! <laughs> um, because they were – so Muffin, nothing had been done to her yet. They had her, but she, they hadn't done anything. But Sugar – They're just threatening her. This was really bad. Uh, Sugar had been altered. Oh. So um, – they kind of, I think they explained to me what they'd done to her. They had done all these unnecessary surgeries to, like, oh. add tiger claws to her what? and add, like, tiger teeth to her mouth. They Some, like customized a bunch your cat. They customized her, but they tricked it was your really clear that that's not why they had not just, like, they had just done it for fun. Huh. Um, it was actually really meant for torture. Yeah, this sounds like uh, like American Mary, but on cats. Yeah, a little bit. Yeah, so it had been. T- so she was in there, and I saw her, and she was just swollen and clearly Aww. in pain. I mean, I, I imagine that girl. these people probably wouldn't have used like anesthetics. No, so no, because they were. She'd probably her. been tortured like crazy, and I would like all I was doing in my dream was like scream crying. Yeah. Yeah, I was so I was devastated. Um, yeah, it was like the worst. It was, yeah, yeah. No, They're I like understand. My children. Yeah, no, my cats are the same way to me. I completely yeah. understand that. Like my dream is pretty much the same fear, right? Tell me everything. Yeah. So uh, my dreams like to flicker, but they like you know how you have multiple dreams in a night, but like uh, mine, mine kind of like neatly transition into each other, and uh, it doesn't make sense in the dream and I know that doesn't make sense but I just accept it so (laughs) at first it was like I was trapped in this old strip mall that was by our house in back in Strathcona right and we were trapped in like the drugstore the grocery store or something with the doors barred it was like my mom and I and 
my mom, not your mom. Andrea. <laughs> <laughs> Mine. Yeah, <laughs> this is a common issue for us, this wording. And we were fighting off a zombie apocalypse. And because as you do. And <laughs> yeah, so I was actually pretty good. I was pretty, I was like stressed out to the max, but I was doing really well against these zombies. Like I got us out of there and got us into a car. But then suddenly the dream transitioned and it was raining outside. We're in the same strip mall and we're in mom's car. So we're driving like out of that dream and into a new one, I guess. And yeah, since it was dark and raining, she didn't see, but I saw Hazel, my cat, one of my cats, in the middle of the road where we were about to drive. No. Yeah. And I told mom to stop, but she didn't see her because it's dark and she, I felt the bump. Okay. I felt the bump in my dream, like uh, the tires roll over her body and immediately like mom panicked because she knew what happened as soon as it happened, right? It was like a split second. And like, we both got out of the car. We rushed out of the car. (sighs) Oh my God. There are a few dreams that I actually wake up like screaming from in the real world, but I saw Hazel on the pavement, and she had been... Okay, so this is gory. Tune out if you're on Danim Gore. Uh, she had been bisected by one of the tires, I guess, as it rolled over. So she was in two halves, and I could see her spine sticking out of her lower half in perfect glistening detail. Oh. And... She was still breathing. No. Yeah, she was like alive, but beyond help, right? Because we'd rushed out of the car to see if she was like able to be helped. But I saw that, and in the dream, I just started screaming. And I woke up to my own screaming. Like, I actually sat bolt right, like, bolt upright in bed and was actually screaming. And I was like so confused for a second. And traumatized and I just had to go rush off and find Hazel and like pet her give her <laughs> yeah. give her treats and yeah I yeah yeah I don't usually wake up screaming that was one that was a very vivid like the every little detail on her body I can still see Ugh, yeah. I hate those dreams I hate them too they really speak to what we're afraid of <laughs> I am just don't hurt our cats <laughs> yeah no it's like yeah <laughs> uh I get really protective over my cats, too. Like, if people don't like my cats or if people are, like, weird around my cats or, you know, if anyone threatened my cat, I'd probably, like, have to chop off one of their fingers. <laughs> yeah. Like, I get that. Yeah. It, w- yeah. it would happen. So, yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. So, that's our dreams. <laughs> We're very much cat people. People of the cats. We love our babies. Yeah, they're good babies. Oh, they're so cute. I just love thinking about them. Their little faces. No. Okay. No, we can't. We can't turn this podcast into yeah, a into cat a cat conversation. Pod. Yeah, we were talking about that on the deck one of like one of a million times. <laughs> we go out on Andrea's balcony to smoke sometimes, and uh, her cats. We've always thought about you know what if one of the neighbors out on their balcony and like overhears our conversations a lot because ninety percent of it's cats. cats. Yeah, it's always cats. But that's because my cats are always peeking out at us yep. from the screen door. Yeah. So. All, also, we just love them so much. It's all we they can talk about. They are very adorable. Yeah. But if we get started, we won't stop. Yeah. All right. So, <laughs> Andrea, did you want to start first with sure. your... Yeah, you should with this Wisconsin case because yeah. I haven't heard about it. Wisconsin, we need to have a word with you. Mm. In private, please. <laughs> 
There was a lot to choose from. Come into my office, Wisconsin. I chose one purposely that probably no one has heard of. Well, okay, not no one, but most Uh, people will not have heard of. The people who it happened to probably know about it. Yeah, uh, but it took place in like 1911, so they're probably gone. Oh, yeah. Yeah, (laughs) they're all dead. I remember 1911. Okay, they're all dead except for you. Yeah, and I'm not from Wisconsin, so that's fine. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the 1870s and the early 1900s were my heyday, yeah. apparently. Yeah. yeah. I was there. <laughs> yeah, was decided. Good times. Yeah, you were only 45 at that time. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> now she's mummified, so I have to, like, periodically salt her throughout the podcast, and she perks right up. Yeah. That's all it takes. <laughs> Just a little sprinkle. <laughs> Bam! You know, like, yeah. And she's fresh again. Ish. <laughs> as much as a mummified person can be. A little bit fossilized, but a very, a very well-kept fossil. I'm a cute fossil. Adorable fossil. <laughs> yeah. All right. So All right. tell me about this, like, sordid affair in Wisconsin. This is the Frank Lloyd Wright case. Uh, basically... It's the uh, Taliesin murders. The Taliesin? Yeah. Okay. I right, feel like I've heard say. of this. No, you're not allowed to have heard of this. <laughs> um, okay, I will begin. And you haven't heard of it. Okay. 1903. So, this guy named Frank Wright was hired to design a house for his neighbor Edward Cheney in Oak Park, Illinois. And so that's how he kind of met. Edward's wife. Uh, Edward's wife, her name was Martha, but she went by Mama. (laughs) And uh, Frank and Edward's wife, Mama, hit it off and began an affair. Well, what else is there to do in Wisconsin? In 1903, exactly nothing. (laughs) Although at this point, they're in Illinois. Oh, Uh, shit. Okay. Well, (laughs) there's corn there. Yeah. (laughs) There's corn? I think that's Iowa. It's everywhere in the Midwest, apparently. Yeah. It's just like cornfield. Corn. Yeah. Um, okay. So the affair became like a story around town. Oh, Rumors. Shit. Everybody knew about it. Oh, Everybody's talking about it. Frank's wife, Kitty, would not divorce him, though, because she just thought like it was just another one of his flirtations and that it would pass. Mm-hmm. But Frank and Martha, or yeah, Frank and Mama ended up mm. traveling together and uh, obviously falling in love. Even who's letting them do this deeply. shit? Like, <clears throat> I don't know. It's 1903. Is uh, not much. I don't know. Hmm. Um. So after doing all their traveling, they started working on their own home in Spring Green, Wisconsin. So now they're in Wisconsin. Okay. Yes, this is where the action happens. <laughs> Here it is, Wisconsin. Woo-hoo! Yeah. So Frank called the home that they were building Taliesin. Which in Welsh means shining brow. Ew. Yeah. I don't know why that's attractive. (laughs) (laughs) Sweaty house. Yeah. Gross. That's what we're going to call it. Sweaty eyebrow house. Yep. Once construction began, Edward had given uh, Mama her divorce. So so Mama's Mama's husband husband allowed the divorce and like was like, yeah, sure. You can go off with Frank. Um, But Frank was still married, which obviously caused a lot of gossip. Um, Yeah. But their lives were still good. Like, they were happy together. Everything was fine. They didn't give a shit. Uh, Frank hired these two people 
called Julian and Gertrude Carlton to work as cooks. And they were a married couple. Mm -hmm. And yeah, they were just, they're cooks. (laughs) (laughs) They Uh, cooked things. They cooked stuff. So problems surfaced with Julian like almost right away. Um, oh. His behavior was growing erratic over the summer. What's erratic for Wisconsin? Like? Okay, so this is what erratic is. He stayed up at night staring out the window while holding a butcher's knife. <laughs> <laughs> well, if you do it reliably, it's not erratic. He's a weirdo. Yeah, no, if you have like a set schedule. That's just Julian's way. That's just being. Oh, Julian. Reliably creepy. Classic Julian. <laughs> Okay. Yeah, so in August, an ad was was placed to replace him. Oh. Yeah, they're like, nope, no more. No more No more of this weird-ass shit. Yeah. And uh, so they were told, the, the couple were told that their last day at Tillison would be August 15th, 1914. Right. Um, Frank was supposed to go to Chicago that weekend to continue construction of the Midway Gardens. Because mm-hmm. he's an architect. It, yeah, so he, like, left, right? And so he said goodbye to his lover. Oh. Mama and was like, love you, bye, you know. Okay. This is how I imagined it in my head. Yeah, except they would have said in like 1903 language. Fare thee well, my darling. <laughs> Till at last we meet again, <laughs> he said. <laughs> <laughs> I would have thrown in a few saucy dames, but I guess that came a little later, 20s. like <laughs> <laughs> Saucy dames, yeah. So on August 15th, which was the... Um, Julian and Gertrude's last day. Mm-hmm. Uh, Mama's two children from her marriage to Edward, named Martha and John, had come to visit, and they all had lunch in the dining area. Okay. Uh, Julian Carlton sor- served soup to the family. Okay, so he was still there at this yeah, point. Yeah, so this was their last day, and they were right. he was still serving them. Okay. And then at the end of the day, I guess he was fired. Yeah. <laughs> so as they ate, though. He snuck up behind Mama and buried a hatchet in oh. her head. Oh. Yeah. How can you sneak around with a hatchet? Like, it's a small uh, knife. <laughs> well, a hatchet is like a small axe, right? <laughs> so it's... That's a difference, I guess. Yeah. Uh, Some axe sneaking. I guess... Sneak axe. Yes. This is my <laughs> sneaky axe. Super sneaky. I guess it didn't whistle when he swung it through the air. <laughs> and go... Whoosh, <laughs> Paul Bunyan Conk. this. Yeah. So yeah. Yikes. Okay, so hatchet. Hatchet mama. to mama. And then he also attacked the kids. Oh so shit. So all three of them uh died from blows to the head. From a hatchet. Yeah. Oh no. Um but that it didn't end there. They were just in the wrong place, I'm guessing. Yeah. It's uh It didn't end there. Suspect okay. Suspect that he was mad about being fired. Yeah. Probably. Um, and yeah. then killed the witnesses, yeah. Yeah. But he didn't stop there. There were other workers in the house, including a carpenter named Billy. Oh. Billy, who is 35. Um, Billy's son, Ernest, who is 13. Oh, no. This guy named Emil and another guy named Herbert. And they were draftsmen in their early 20s. Oh. And a gardener named David, who was in his 50s, and a laborer named Thomas, who is 66. So a bunch of people of, like, yeah, just a bunch vastly of guys. different ages. Yeah, a yeah. bunch of different dudes, yeah. And they were having lunch Ugh. in the adjacent room. Okay. So Herbert said that he noticed weird liquids. Like, this is afterward. Yeah. Uh, Herbert survived. And he he told people afterwards that he had noticed weird liquids seeping under the door. Ew. And thought that it was water, but oh, realized boy. that by the smell that it was gasoline. Oh, shit. 
Yeah, and then suddenly the room burst into flames. Yeah. Julian had locked the door, had locked yeah. everybody in. And so um, they were all trying <sighs> to escape through the window, but yeah. Julian was waiting there with the hatchet. Oh, my God. And he hunted down Thomas and David, and then I think – I don't know if the others died in the fire or if he managed to kill them too. But of the six men, only Fritz escaped by running down an embankment. And he broke his arm in the process, but he got away. Wow. I'm yeah. glad he I'm glad he got away. Yeah. Um, by the time help arrived, the main house was destroyed. And uh, authorities searched and found Julian hiding in a furnace. He had swallowed some acid in an attempt to commit suicide. What? Yeah. So he's just really, really upset about being fired. Or, well, I mean, <laughs> it sounds like his behavior had been bad, like, yeah. before then. So he was, just, he was he just, was just snapped. Unbalanced, yeah. Yeah, it just took, like, a little, like, spark to set him off. Yeah. Uh, he did die nearly eight weeks later. Mm-hmm. And he never told anybody why he did this. And it was the worst incident of mass murder in Wisconsin history at the time. Yeah. Well, that's... That would be pretty bad for today as well. Yeah. Yikes. Uh, Julian's wife, Gertrude Carlton, had been absent at the time. So Mm -hmm. even though she was, like, detained and questioned, she was released because they concluded that she had nothing to do with her husband's freaky-ass plans. Yeah. So that's pretty much the end of that. Um, There are some theories. Okay. So he did experience some racism at the hands of, workers at the house that's not shocking so he might have just been angry um about know. that but that like they think they're trying to explain why he killed everybody as, like everybody including, else yeah yeah including the other workers yeah yeah um another theory is that he was angry with mama who had fired him due to him acting odd and paranoid mm-hmm. and everybody kind of agreed that he was just seriously mentally disturbed and maybe that was even just the whole reason that's I'm pretty sure that is like too, even if even if there are other before. reasons. Yeah, he was, and even if those other reasons played into it, like most people don't react to these things with you know mass murder. No, you know, like it. It takes a certain you know you have to be off balance beforehand to yeah. do these things. Yeah, yeah. So Frank obviously was devastated. So he rebuilt yeah. Taliesin in Mama's memory and. Uh. Uh, she was buried under a large tree at a nearby chapel, which he had also designed. Hmm. And the house stands today as a museum and historic landmark. So probably people have heard of it then in Wisconsin. Yeah, I would actually, I would imagine because if it's a tourist yeah. place. Yeah, if people probably hit up this museum, yeah. I would. I would have used that opportunity to rename it. Oh, yeah. Yeah. To like... I don't know, <laughs> dirty fingernails or something. That in Welsh. <laughs> Toenail clippings uh, yeah. in Welsh. I don't know, yeah, but it's probably like offhand. 85 letters. <laughs> so it's hard to memorize. Like, Yeah, possibly. Yeah, possibly. Yeah. I remember having a Welsh friend who like showed me um, the name of a bus stop. And that was, it was literally a paragraph long, this one word. <laughs> it's the name of a bus stop. Yeah, it was the name of a bus stop. And it was like a full, like, four sentence length string of letters. I was like, wow. It probably just meant bus stop. No, it's the, it's the bus stop's name. Like, like oh. an address indicator or something. But it wasn't a full address. It was one word. Hmm. It was just that many letters. Holy crap. Yeah. I'm surprised so, that that Taliesin was a shortening. Yeah. Means shining brow. 
Yeah, <laughs> some things are like million letters. Some things just like, let's keep it short and snappy. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> All right, so I have some haunted objects. Yeah. Okay, let's talk about some haunted objects. And I've actually got one in Wisconsin too, but they're, they're not all from Wisconsin. <laughs> Sorry, Wisconsin stands. You're, you don't have the market on everything horror. <laughs> so there. Ha! Are we like having a pissing <laughs> contest with Wisconsin? Yeah. I mean, we're well, from Alberta. No, they're competing so with fair. the other states. Oh. Yeah. Do we get to be like the, the judges of the states? Yeah. That's our job. <laughs> Yeah, a Canadian voice on, yeah, <laughs> obviously impartial, sure. All right, so to start off with, here's a one that people have probably heard of, most people, well, you know, but yeah, it's still an interesting story. Uh, Robert, otherwise known as Robert the Doll, Robert the Haunted Doll, or Robert the Enchanted Doll, if you're a discerning fellow. <laughs> so I got some of this info from Wikipedia. The doll originally belonged to Robert Eugene Otto, an artist described as eccentric, who belonged to a prominent Key West family. The doll was reportedly manufactured by the Steiff Company of Germany, purchased by Otto's grandfather while on a trip to Germany in 1904, and given to young Otto as a birthday gift. The doll's sailor suit was likely an outfit that Otto wore as a child. Which I already find a little... Yeah. yeah, that was common then. <laughs> it was. Like, they're dolls made with, like, dead children's hair for, like, families. Yeah. And, uh, and dressing your kid in sailor suits. Yeah, that's on BoJack Horseman. It took me a really long time like to figure it. out why. Is why it? all his childhood flashbacks. Oh, yeah, 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 he's always in sailor That was he so funny. Oh. Yeah, I know. Like, And that was, like... That was not in 1904. What, 60s? Yeah, yeah, I think so. 60s or 70s or something. Yeah, 70s probably. Yeah, yeah. 70s. Yeah, which would have not been in style anymore, I don't think. Maybe it was and we just... <laughs> Ugh. Maybe Otto was Although this is a world where trends. horses have man bodies. Basically all animals yeah, are so humanoid. Our yeah, our world. Yeah. Right. That's how things Yeah. Are. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> horses with man faces. All right. So the doll remained stored in the Otto family home at 534 Eaton Street in Key West while Otto studied art in New York and Paris. Otto married Annette Parker in Paris on May 3, 1930. The couple returned to the Otto family home in Key West to live there until Otto died in 1974. His wife died two years later. After their deaths, the Eaton Street home containing the doll was sold to Myrtle uh, Router, Ruder, who owned it for 20 years until the property was sold to the current owners, who operated as a guest house. In 1994, the doll was donated to the East Martello Museum in Key West, Florida, where it eventually became a popular tourist attraction. It is annually rotated to the old post office and custom house in October, so you can go see this doll. But be careful. No, thank you. Well, it's it's fine like to see him. As it is. I love dolls. Actually, no, you know what? That would be interesting to go see. Yeah, just don't take his photo, apparently. But... Oh. At least that's one thing. I'm not sure if they mention it here, but uh, there is one doll out there where, like, you don't want to take his photo without asking him. And people have, and I've they've actually, that. like, yeah, they've actually, like, come back and, like, posted sorry notes to him because apparently bad things happen if you just, like, oh. snap a photo without asking. Like, without – and, I mean, that's the thing. Like, you could ask, but you're not going to know if you received a yes or no. So you probably just shouldn't. I wish I had that power. Yeah. <laughs> 
<laughs> yeah. Make bad things happen to people who just snap pictures of me. I mean, yeah. I, yeah, actually. Yeah, I have some bad lighting sometimes, <laughs> so yeah, good point. So according to legend, the doll has supernatural abilities that allow it to move, change its facial expressions, and make giggling sounds. Ew. Yeah. I hate giggling. Repulsive. Some versions of the legend claim that a young girl of uh, Bahamian descent gave Otto the doll as a gift or as retaliation for her wrongdoing, which you are easily confused. Uh, other stories claim that the doll moved religious figurines, in this case, like, uh, they said voodoo, but uh, I don't know why those would be just hanging around, around the room and was aware of what went on around him. How would they know that? I know. Okay. Well, this is according to the legend, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, and there are some, like, creepy things that people have actually witnessed, but I suspect the, like, awareness is, like, based on that. So... Still, other legends claim that the doll vanished after Otto's house changed ownership a number of times after his death, or that young Otto triggered the doll's supernatural powers by blaming his childhood mishaps on the doll. According to local folklore, the doll has caused car accidents, broken bones, job loss, divorce, and a cornucopia of other misfortunes, and the museum visitors supposedly experience post-visit misfortunes for failing to respect Robert. Okay. Yeah. So but he doesn't you kill can look you. That up. Uh, so that's good. No, no, and I'm not sure what all behaviors have been witnessed by workers, but I feel like I've seen more articles on this that do go into detail about like what's happened recently with regard to the doll. Mm. So yeah, that's something to check out. And my next object, there's a movie based off this one, but I'm not sure which movie. It's called The Conjure Chest. I don't think The Conjuring was based on this, but. <laughs> <laughs> So, the Conjure Chest, uh, and this is from Ken- Kentucky Historical Society. Sixteen people are believed to have had misfortune due to a curse placed on this chest of drawers. The story, told in the book Flapdoodle, Trust and Obey. Okay. <laughs> what? <laughs> My, That's a good title. It's a good read. My fave. By Virginia Carey Hudson. Uh, it began with a slave named Hosea. Hosea made the chest in the 1840s for the son of his owner, Jacob Cooley. Unsatisfied with the work, Cooley beat Hosea, who eventually died from his wounds. Yeah. Are you serious? Ew. Hosea's family sprinkled dried owl blood inside the drawers and put a curse on it. Good. Yeah, I know. (laughs) Sounds good to me. Justice. (laughs) That seems like appropriate retaliation. Yeah. No, I think that actually is 100% fair. Yeah. Tragedy continued every time someone put their clothing in the chest. So, uh, the first one, the baby clothes of the child for whom the chest was made were put in the chest, and he died in infancy. One of Jacob Cooley's older sons used it for his son, and he was stabbed on his 25th birthday by his uh, body servant. Okay. Yeah. You know what? These people had too many servants anyway. Yeah. So This is my fingernail servant. Yeah. This is my toe servant. Gosh. Yeah, no, I'm, ha- I'm having a hard time feeling sympathy for these people. Yeah, me I too. Feel, I feel bad for the baby. Me too. Okay, so the chest was moved to the attic, but was later given to a newly married couple, Melinda and Sean. Melinda got sick and died. Sean was killed in an accident. Their daughter, Evelyn, and her husband cared for an orphan, Arabella, and later her wedding dress was put in the chest. Her husband died young. The baby clothes of Arabella's child were put in the chest. The child died. 
Evelyn's oldest son married, and the wedding clothes of his bride were put in the chest. The young woman died. They've got to stop putting their clothes in this chest. Yeah. Ugh. Jeez, catch on. Yeah, jeez. Evelyn's servant, Aunt Sarah, hid gloves and a scarf she knitted as a Christmas gift for her son in the chest. He fell through a train trestle two days before Christmas and was killed. Yeah, and was killed. Hmm. Yikes. That would be upsetting. Are they doing this on purpose? Yeah, jeez, because there's like, more. I hate that nephew of mine. I'm going to. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh, Evelyn's daughter, uh, Nora's wedding clothes were put in the chest. Her husband deserted her. Evelyn's daughter, Ruthie, put her childhood clothes in the chest. She was injured and died injured. Yeah. Evelyn, distressed by loss, took her own life. The chest was brought to the house of Virginia Carrie Hudson, the storyteller, and the clothes of Virginia's first child went into the chest. The baby died. The clothes of Virginia's daughter were put in the chest. She was stricken with infantile paralysis. Oh, my God. The wedding clothes of another of Virginia's daughters were put in the chest. Her husband died. Virginia's son Stanley put his hunting clothes in the chest. He was shot. Virginia's son Robbie put his clothes in the chest. He was stabbed through his hand at school. Well, that seems mild. Yeah, so did the the other one, which one was... Uh, yeah, there was... The husband deserted her. Yeah. Yeah, compared to the others, that could be worse. <laughs> um, yeah, so, fun stuff. Virginia asked an older serpent woman, Annie, what to do. She told Virginia she needed a dead owl brought unasked by a friend... Which would be what? hard. Is that, yeah. How is she supposed to know how to to bring an owl? I mean, <laughs> I guess you could put it on your Christmas list. Be like, not asking, but like, dead owl. <laughs> or just like leave hints. Like, you know what's really cool? You know what I'm just <laughs> super into? Owls. Dead owls. I just, yeah, I just really, really like, like dead them. owls. Yeah. They're, they're <laughs> I don't like not live living owls. ones. Those yeah. are gross. It's <laughs> <laughs> just disgusting. <laughs> Has to be in a state of decomposition. Yeah, no, yeah, just she must have just dropped hints a lot. Like, <laughs> hey, so, happened? so dead owl. Um, yeah, then she had to take the leaves of a willow tree planted by a friend and boil them for one day in sight of the owl. Who's this poor friend? I, and Probably how is like, the owl you're seeing this? Effing nuts, Virginia. <laughs> <laughs> you want me to plant a tree and get you a dead owl? Okay. What Fine. <laughs> I, if you weren't my only friend, like, <laughs> I'm just desperate at this point. <laughs> Next, she was to put the liquid in a jug and bury it with the handle facing east under a flowering bush. If it worked, someone in the household would die before all the leaves fell off the bush in fall. And Annie herself died the following September, but some of the owl feathers remain in the top drawer to keep the curse at bay. Okay. So I guess that last, the like, when all the leaves fell off and with that last death, the curse was supposed to be lifted, maybe? You know what would also work is just not putting anything in the chest. That's what I was thinking. Like, <laughs> you guys could just light it on fire. Like, yeah, burn it or lock just it. Just not use it. Yeah. Get on, like, is it so hard to not? This was a communal chest, dude. This is a lot of different people putting shit in this chest. Yeah. Like, why was everyone putting their stuff in the chest? Yeah. <laughs> Like, were there no closets or other chests in this entire, like, family? They <laughs> They're were like, like, we're going oh, well, to have to use it. It's, it's the, the only, only chest. chest. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, we're risking our lives, but having a clean bedroom is important, so. <laughs> All right, so next object, the crying boy painting. Uh, oh, I this, know some, this one. Yeah, and some, some of this info is from Wikipedia. The crying boy is a mass-produced print of a painting by Italian painter Giovanni Bragolin. 
is widely distributed from the 1950s onwards, so a little bit later on in time. There are numerous alternative versions, uh, all portraits of tearful young boys or girls, which is already creepy in my opinion. In addition to being widely known, certain urban legends attribute a curse to the painting. On the 5th of September 1985, the British tabloid newspaper The Sun reported that an Essex firefighter claimed that undamaged copies of the painting were frequently found amidst the ruins of burned houses. By the end of November, belief in the painting's curse was spread enough that The Sun was organizing mass bonfires of the paintings sent in by readers. Steve Punt, a British writer and comedian, investigated the curse of the crying boy in a BBC Radio 4 production called Punt P.I. Catchy. Although the format of the programs are comic in nature, Punt researched the history of the crying boy painting. The conclusion reached by the program following testing at the building research establishment is that the prints were treated with a varnish containing fire retardant and that the string holding the painting to the wall would be the first to deteriorate, resulting in the painting landing face down on the floor and thus being protected, although no explanation was given as to why no other paintings were turned up unscathed. The picture was also mentioned in an episode about curses in the TV series Weird or What in 2012. Okay. That is really strange, and it makes sense. I remember reading a bunch of debunking explanations about that one. Yeah, but I mean, why were all the other paintings fine, just not these ones? Like, was it really just some real good varnish put on these? It might have been just like, yeah, like, specifically this painter used this fire retardant varnish. Yeah. And maybe it wasn't common to use. Yeah, maybe not. That's... Hmm. Maybe. Reminds me of uh, Layers of Fear. All right, so <clears throat> next object, the Bassano vase uh, from the occultmuseum.com. The curse of the 15th century silver Bassano vase is said to have started with a young Italian bride on her wedding night, who mysteriously died clutching the vase to her chest. Despite rumors that the silverware was now haunted by its deceased owner, it was handed down the family as each new owner died a mysterious and sudden death. (laughs) People aren't catching on to these things. Finally convinced the vase was cursed, it was hidden away where it remained for years until it was rediscovered in 1988. Inside the vase was a single note which read, Beware, this vase brings death. Heedless of the grave warning, the new owner threw the note away and promptly sold the vase at an auction. The pharmacist who purchased it died unexpectedly not long after he acquired it, and with that, the deadly curse had struck again. It would strike twice more before the final owner's bereaved family concluded that the vase had to be destroyed once and for all. The story goes that when the family threw the vase out a window, it was picked up by a passing policeman. (laughs) When the officer tried to return the vase to the family, they refused to have it back in their home. It's claimed that the police decided to bury the vase, and with it, the curse, in an undisclosed location where it remains to this day. Okay. That's, That's the story, but wouldn't that be hilarious? That, like, someone just chucks a vase out a window and it, like, lands on you, and you're like, hmm, I like this. I should return it to the people who... Yeah. It, it just fell Here from the go. sky. Oh, what? It's cursed? Okay, I'll bury it. <laughs> that seems yeah. like not a normal policeman reaction. No. Not without making fun of the person telling you this copiously beforehand. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, that's... and arresting you for throwing shit out your window because <laughs> that's dangerous. I'm just picturing like like a close shot of a window pan out, a vase just like just goes fling. flying, like <laughs> broken, like through the glass too, not even through an open window. No, <laughs> they like, just launch this thing. Like, it's just gotta get out. Bam! Of here. Yeah, it just goes like soaring. 
But yeah, so from this one is from, ooh, this one takes, is the Wisconsin one and my last object. Yay, Wisconsin. Yeah, welcome back. My voice is like cracking. I'm dying. I think I'm dying. Yeah. From the Unsolved Mysteries Wikipedia, the Tallman bunk beds. In early February of 1897. Nope. What? 1987. Fuck. See, good thing I read over your shoulder. Yeah, thanks. I'm just. You know what? I just like the 1800s. <laughs> I'm pining for the good it's old. It's the year you're familiar with. Yeah, I'm, because you were I'm in a coma for, my, uh, for all high of the 80s. Days. Remember? Well, I was frozen. Oh right, yeah, because yeah, you so, pricked your finger on a spindle and fell into a cryogenics lab <laughs> from the 1800s. <laughs> Look, life isn't always believable, um, but it's true. Yeah. So yeah. In early February of 1987, Alan and Debbie Tallman brought home a bunk bed that they purchased at a secondhand shop. They assembled the bed and stored it in their basement. When the Tallmans moved the bed upstairs in May of 1987, it marked a beginning of nine months of horror for the family. From the moment the bed was first slept in, the house appeared to be haunted by spirits that terrorized first the children and then the entire family. The children, who were rarely sick before, suddenly became ill for no apparent reason. The night that the family moved to the bed upstairs, the bed's upstairs, their son, Danny, was in the room next to it. After his parents said goodnight to him, his clock radio apparently took on a life of its own. It turned itself on and randomly switched the channels under its own power. He reported that he saw the radio's vindicator moving itself. However, his parents did not believe him. A few weeks later, Alan was painting the walls in his basement when he went up for lunch. He placed the paintbrush on the table. When he returned, the brush was in the bucket with the bristles sticking up. When the youngest daughter was sleeping in the bunk bed, she claimed that she had seen a red-eyed witch behind her door. She also claimed that she saw fire in her room. A month later, Danny saw the same thing. The family pastor was brought in, and he felt the presence of evil inside the house. The Tallmans continued to be tormented by the entities. Doors would bang open and shut, strange voices would call out of nowhere, and ghostly visions persisted. A week before Christmas, Danny again saw something horrifying and told his mother that he wanted to leave. Frustrated, Alan told the spirits to get out of his house. He that then... always works. It does. Leave. <laughs> Go said... away. Shoo. That's it. Yeah. <laughs> That's it. He, he then said that if they wanted to fight someone, <laughs> okay, want to fight, want to fight, <laughs> put up your dukes, they could fight him. <laughs> yeah. So he told them to leave, and he also told them like pistols to at him. noon. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Three weeks later, at around two a.m. on January seventh, nineteen eighty-eight, Alan returned home from the late shift. Outside the garage, he heard an eerie howling sound and went to investigate. A voice came out of the howling and said, "Come here." Which is inviting. Very inviting. I'd be like, okay. Okay, sounds... On my way. You sound like a swell person. Yeah, he went around the back to see if anyone was there, but there was no one. He then went back to the garage and saw that it was on fire. He went inside to get a fire extinguisher, but when he came back out, the fire was gone. The garage door was undamaged, with no visible signs of recent fire consummation. When Alan got back inside, he went to reach his lunch pail that he had set down, but the entity then threw it across the room. No lunch for you. So the entity did kind of call him on that fight. It's like, oh, yeah. I will bring it. Yeah. <laughs> and you're not eating. You want this? You want that? Yeah. Like, Alan started sleeping in his daughter's room to provide protection for her. <laughs> right. It's so that they could provide protection for him. Yeah, he's probably a little it's terrified like after that wedding. Move yeah. over, little Sally. 
Yeah. Oh, <laughs> that's probably true after that lunch pail instant. <laughs> One night, a fog appeared around him. A voice came out of the fog that said, you're dead. Debbie then called the pastor because of what had happened to Alan. A few days later, Alan was working late and asked a relative to watch the girls. His relative was a complete skeptic until that night. The same horrible figure seen by the children appeared, and he let out a loud scream. Debbie then told a relative to get the kids together, and that they were leaving the house forever. Two weeks later, the Tallmans had the bunk beds destroyed. Afterwards, the Tallmans had no further paranormal experiences. So, in April of 1988, a family moved into the Tallmans' old home and have had no haunting experiences. The case was featured as part of a Halloween episode of Unsolved Mysteries that aired on October 26, 1988. The Tallmans were beset by unwanted attention as a result of earlier ghost hysteria, which they did not seek. They had turned down a lucrative tabloid offer about their experience, as they did not think it right to make any money off their children's mis misfortune. Just fair. The Tallmans agreed to share their story with Unsolved Mystery under three conditions. They were censored during the interview, their children's names were to be protected by alias, and that all reenactments of their experiences be done by actors playing the Tallman family. The Tallman House activity was described in greater extent in the book Haunted America by Michael Norman and Beth Scott, but at no time in their research do they link the hauntings to a bunk bed. The activity is instead linked to the property as being located on or near a former, like, Native American burial grounds, which, I mean, this is considered one of the most frightening and well-known well paranormal cases of the series. Okay. I think it's the bed. Yeah. <laughs> but maybe, who knows? It could be Saying anything. Saying it's on a haunted burial ground is such it a catch-all. It seems, yeah, it is a catch-all because uh, that like could be anywhere. Everywhere. Yeah, that's, in North America, <laughs> that's unfortunately, like, all over. Yeah. But, yeah, it does seem like a cop-out. And it seems like something that people like to say when they're, like, trying to make it scary. Like, ooh, ancient burial ground. Like, yeah. Mm, I actually think the bunk bed would have been creepier. <laughs> yeah, that is creepier. Yeah. 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 I had a bunk bed. Actually, they showed a picture of the bunk beds in the article I was reading, and it looked exactly like ours. Really? Yeah, it was like that like weird, like wooden ash look. Yeah. Such a plain bunk bed. Too. Yeah, they're plain. Not like ornate or anything at all. No, ours looked like it was made in like a high school shop class. Yeah, it was really boring. Like, I, I probably could have made that. <laughs> yeah. It was just like held together with little like wooden wickets. Like, yeah. Yeah. Good times. Hey. Yeah. Well, that was interesting. Yeah. So, next Wisconsin. week. Hmm. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Wisconsin, so, yeah, next week is yeah. Halloween. Next week is Halloween. So, what yeah. we're doing is we're releasing our episode on the Wednesday so that yeah. it will be released on, on Halloween. Halloween. Yeah. So, you can enjoy all of your two scared siblings' content yeah. on Halloween. On Halloween. Yay. Then you can really get in the mood for handing out candy. Yeah. Because that's what does it, right? Uh, yeah. <laughs> I'm already a snack. A snack? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yes, uh, so you're okay. welcome. And trick or treat, it's me. Creepy. I'm your treat. You're a weirdo. No, I'll just like, what? <laughs> <laughs> Ren's going to show up at each and every one of your doors for yeah. Halloween. Yeah. 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 You're going to be dizzy. But I can only come in if you invite me, so you'll be fine. Because he's a vampire. No, I just am polite. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no. no, it's just a personal policy. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I would just walk into people's houses, you savage. Okay, I do. 
I basically treat everybody's house like it's my house. I always thought that was a funny thing about, like, vampires. Because, like, yeah, I mean, that's, that's good and everything. But, like, hopefully most people will ask. Like, yeah. do your friends just, like, kick open the is door that and you burst tell? in? Yeah, is <laughs> that how you could tell if your friend's, like, actually nice and knocks instead of just, like, waltzing in, like, a Seinfeld episode? people are just, episode, like, like, you're a vampire. Yeah, you don't just, it's like, like no, kick just my door knocks. down that's... and roll into, like, my bedroom. <laughs> 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 yeah all right we're so, tired yeah we yeah. are we're super yeah, tired we're really tired all right so we're gonna leave you with that and a promising uh special halloween episode next week yay, yay. All, all right so see you then all we'll right. see you early okay bye bye